I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. This week marks the 30th anniversary of the release of Silence of the Lambs, starring Anthony Hopkins. So we thought it'd be a good excuse to talk about the man himself and some of his greatest films. We've got two of our finest reviewers straining at the leash. We've got Alicia. Hi. And Jason. Hello. So what can we say about Anthony Hopkins? Uh, A protege of of Laurence Olivier, he's made over 100 films, not including TV and stage work. Knighted in 1993, the winner of two Oscars, four BAFTAs, one Golden Globe, and of course became the oldest recipient of an acting Oscar for the for the father, mm. which we'll come on to later. Well into his eighties, he's still going strong. So let's get some initial thoughts then. What is it we particularly like about Hopkins as an actor, Alicia? Um, I think it's probably just how much passion he holds for you know what he does and just for cinema in general, and you can see that through all of his films. I think. And TV as well, actually. He just <coughs> thrives in that atmosphere. And it's always so nice to see someone just completely delving into characters like that. Yeah, he, do, he does have a kind of an immersive approach to acting, doesn't he? And it, but it's totally natural in the way it comes across. Yeah. Jason, what do you think? Well, well, he's, he has had such a remarkable career. He's received so much praise and recognition. He's won so many awards and is had the opportunity to work with so many great filmmakers and actors. No, he is, he's, 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 he's terrific. Yeah, yeah. I think for, for me, I think he, he's so good at pacing a character. He doesn't overdo it. You know, he, he mm. seems to get it just right. And he, you seem to get more, more truth in the character that, that he's playing that way. But obviously, we'll come to that in more detail. Um, so let's have a look at Hopkins' highlights then. Um, if we start in 1980 with The Elephant Man, uh, directed by David Lynch, co-starring John Hurt and Anne Bancroft, what do we think, Alicia? Wow, what that film is so powerful just in itself. You know, it takes yeah. such a simple concept, yeah. I suppose, you know, underlying the whole don't judge a book by its cover but it turns it into something so massively impactful in a beautifully crafted way, just completely. 
but Hopkins is probably like the highlight of that film for me. He holds so much emotion and intensity throughout the film, but it's always through his eyes. I know, and it's a very good point, actually. I I think he can often nail a character through the eyes. Uh, That's really, I mean, a lot of acting is done with the eyes, I think, isn't it? And he certainly does that in in The Elephant Man. You see, I I think um, there there is something incredibly moving and poignant about that relationship between John Merrick, played by John Hurt, and Dr. Trees, played by um, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, it is incredibly moving, and one of my favourite uh, scenes in that film is where Merrick sits down to tea with Treves and says, "I've been meaning to ask you, Dr. Treves, can I be cured?" And he said, "No, we can't cure you. We can care for you." And he sighs, and he says, "Oh, I thought not." And your heart sinks. It yeah. is such an emotional, intense yeah. film. What did you think, Jason? Well, when I first saw the Elephant Man, I, I cried so much. It is it is so heavy on emotions. I felt so sorry for him, you know, for yeah, John Merrick, and mm. I really I really like Anthony Hopkins in it too. He he plays a good-hearted surgeon who tries to help him get him, get him out of the harsh life he's living and give him yeah. a better life. You know, it's so, yeah. such a, such a beautiful film. It is. It's it's a beautiful film, shot in black and white. What do we what do we feel about black and white films generally? I I love the films that are shot in black and white because there's a sharp contrast there. The prints that you get in black and white give you something that color doesn't mm-hmm. always give you. Do you think that makes the film more powerful that it is in black and white? Yeah, definitely. I think it kind of mm, highlights the acting a little bit more. Mm-hmm. If you're yeah. not as focused on you know bright colors, it you're fully immersed in that way. Like black and white has its own type of, you know, yeah. crisp scenery, but it definitely, yeah. <laughs> you know, enhances everything else that's going on. I think it also really, it, it pins the the period down so well within the film, doesn't it? Yeah. It does feel yeah. like the Victorian era. You could be convinced we are in the Victorian yeah. era. Um, what I think is interesting about um, Hopkins' character, Trees, is that initially in the film, he started out as an ambitious surgeon stroke doctor, who was making a name for himself, but he came to love and respect Merrick because he was, Merrick was a very intelligent man as well. He was very well read and he, he felt privileged to care for him as opposed to just being a scientist and making a name for himself within the medical community. And that comes out really strongly as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's, it is, it's, it's a lovely film and it's, it's very watchable as well. And you, you often pick up more nuances when you watch it again and mm. again. And I think that's something that's characteristic of um, uh, Hopkins' films, and we'll see that as we go along, is that he is very watchable, and he does, as I say, he doesn't overdo it. I think so many actors over-egg the pudding. Do you not think they just act too much? Yeah. Uh, Jason, what do you think about that? You know, it, do you think he, he paces a character well when he, when he, when he plays a role? Anthony Hopkins, yes, I think he absolutely nailed it. I mean, he's he's such a he's such a remarkable actor. You know, yeah. Anything, whether any role he chooses, he does it because he knows he can do it. Yeah. You know? I, I guess he's in a position now, though, where he can, or he has been for many years, where he can choose what roles he, he takes. But it, he always nails it every single time. Okay, then. So that's Elephant Man. Let's let's jump forward eleven years. Let's go go for it. Silence of the mm-hmm. Lambs. 1991, directed by Jonathan Demme, co-starring, sorry, I beg your pardon, co-starring Jodie Foster, and it won Hopkins' first Oscar. Jason, tell me what you think about Silence of the Lambs. Well, it's it's my favourite Anthony Hopkins role, and it's arguably his most famous role. Yeah. I mean, he, well, he he plays Hannibal Lecter, uh, yeah. cannibal who is in prison because he eats people yeah and it and he helps um and jody foster plays the fbi agent who goes to That's him it. in order in order mm-hmm. to for his advice to catch the serial killer buffalo bill mm. and you know now talking about anthony hopkins now he's he's unbelievable in that film you know he plays a man who's intelligent but also very very a, a complete psychopath too you know yeah. He can be calm and very calculative, and he yeah. can also be very, very dangerous. 
again, yeah, don't I forgettable, think, of course. Yeah, of course. And again, it comes back to the ice. I mean, Alicia, you mentioned the ice earlier on. Um, I think he nails this part with the ice. They, they're, they're piercing, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Alicia, did you, did you find it genuinely scary? Were, were you really gripped? I definitely gripped, but I I don't find a lot of things scary like that. I think it's yeah. it's like painfully good. It's almost perfect, and I don't say that films are perfect, you know, just on a whim. It's mm. almost perfect. It's painfully good, but I think it all comes down to is it scary or is it unnerving? Uh, I think mm. I felt more unnerved by yeah. how piercing his eyes are. It's always yeah. in the eyes. Yeah. As, exactly. That's exactly it. I think, you know, as, as I said just now, that a lot of acting is done with the eyes. And I think this is where, where it really comes across and where he really earned the Oscar, I think, really. Yeah, definitely. Because usually, I'm a bit like yourself, Alicia. I'm not particularly scared by movies that are meant to be scary. But this one kind of got to me a little bit. You know, those scenes between uh, Lexa and Clarice, even though you had that, he was in a cell and there was that thick glass between them. Did you almost feel scared for her? You know, that she was still vulnerable. You know, even though she was relying on him for help, it was still, there was still that kind of air of sort of claustrophobia and she looked vulnerable even so. Yeah. You know. Which did definitely make it, you know, it was so uncomfortable because you were kind of anticipating, wait, hold on, is that is it safe? You know, yeah. can he break through the glass? Is that something yeah. I'm overthinking that? But because no. it creates such a uncomfortable, you know, atmosphere to be in, it's so good. It's, I don't mind feeling uncomfortable because it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's an excellent film. There's no question about it. And it was a richly deserved Oscar. Do we think, though, that um, the role became so big... And so and so impactful that it almost defined Hopkins' career. Did it? Do you think it's had the effects of overshadowing his other work? It almost feels like a parody in some ways, because you know when you've got spit an image uh, and Billy Crystal at the Oscars uh, dressing up as Hannibal Lecter, do you think it's almost overshadowed his other work, or does it enhance what else he's done? Mm, I think it might just create. Well, no, not you say it. You know, uh, I think it might depend on how you take Silence of the Lambs. It either mm. opens up a path to his other works or mm. you could, you know, define his whole career by falling in love with that film. Yeah. It's interesting, really, isn't it? Because other actors have played Hannibal Lecter. I mean, Brian Cox played Hannibal Lecter in a different film. Um, but you don't think of anyone else playing that role. He, he's, the, he's the reference point for Hannibal Lecter, isn't he? Every yeah. single time. And there is that kind of mixture of real menace within those. Again, it's the eyes. We keep on coming back to the eyes. Uh, but that is really what it boils down to, isn't it? And apparently, um, Hopkins actually said he perfected that role and that character by drawing on his childhood. When he was a kid growing up in Port Talbot in Wales, he used to torment the, the girls when he was a a boy by doing that impression you know with the where he does that thing with his tongue and I wouldn't even attempt to do it but you know the bit I'm talking about yeah um and he, he perfected that as a kid tormenting other kids and he's just drawing on his own experiences and, and that kind of unique creepiness that he, he builds mm. into the role and it's it's again it's something that just makes you feel a bit clammy and a bit a bit ugh, you know yeah. but, it, but it does work though doesn't it every single time um, I mean, he. Um, there was a sequel, wasn't there? Which I don't think was quite as good. Um, so Hannibal, yeah, two thousand and one. Two thousand and one. Two thousand and one. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm. You'll soon. You'll soon discover with, with me that I'm not a big fan of sequels generally. Uh, they make money, but on a purely artistic mm. level, I don't think they really achieve much. But um, I think certainly in, in that case it really didn't work because it, it's something that needs to stand on its own, isn't it? I think, yeah. um, but an amazing film, an incredible film. And that was 1991. That was his first Oscar and his first nomination, strangely enough. But the following year, um, we had Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, 
Hopkins plays Van Helsing uh, alongside Gary Oldman playing the Count Dracula. Dracula. And also, yeah, and also Keanu Reeves playing Jonathan Harker, directed by Coppola. Now, all those ingredients, you would think that's got to be one hell of a film. Did it really deliver the goods, Jason, do you think? I think it's a great film. I think uh, Gary Oldman is terrific in the role of Dracula. Yeah. And I think Anthony Hopkins does a very convincing job too as as Van Helsing, who was an expert on vampires. I have to say that mm. Keanu Reeves kind of lets the film down, to be honest. Just his performance. Really? Yeah. yeah he doesn't, he's not very convincing as an Englishman, I don't think. And, well, no, I guess not. No, um, but, that is certainly true. Yeah, sorry, go on. But apart from that, I think it's a great film. I think the makeup is fantastic. The costumes look yeah. good. The settings are, you know, very, very gothic. I think it's a great film, yes. Yeah. I do approve of it. Yeah. I mean, a typical couple of film, though, visually beautiful, almost poetic in the way it's constructed. Alicia, mm. did it work for you? Mm, I liked it, but I don't think I get, you know, the big hype around it. I, uh, mm. I am in love with Dracula. I love vampires. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, right. you know, this one, that sounds a little weird, but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I know you. I know what you mean. That's fine. Okay. I mean, I think um, I think Dracula is one of the great uh, creations of popular oh. literature. I mean, look at the number of times that it's been made into a film or a TV series. It's yeah. just one of those great stories that <laughs> never seems to uh, get stale in any way. And it, it does depend a lot on who's directing, who's starring, but it has that kind of quality of constantly renewing itself, I, I think, you know? And it's always going to be fertile territory for any director who can take the film. So I understand why you love Dracula so much, because it's an, it's an amazing character. I mean, but with, um, with the film itself, I mean, Gary Oldman, w- was, he, was he a good choice, do you think? Yeah, I really, liked, I really liked him, but then again... I'm really biased when it comes to Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman's awesome. He's yeah. always awesome. I think, yeah, of course, yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, with Hopkins' role in particular, I think the, the role of Van Helsing as this slightly eccentric, almost mad professor mm-hmm. who goes vampire hunting, I think that's the kind of role that he's born to play, isn't it, really? Yeah. That my fa- One of my favourite lines in the entire film is the you know yeah she was in great pain then we cut off her head <laughs> yeah yeah i know and then she found peace right. yeah as you do you know as you do it's obvious it's logical isn't it? <laughs> you know very very matter of, matter of facts but it's again it, sometimes i feel that films made by coppola because of his track record uh, it gets a free pass it's got to be good but it is good and i think hopkins you know, it's a bit more than a cameo role, but I, I think it was part of a, a beautifully constructed piece, I think. I think um, I think Jason's got a point. I think um, Keanu Reeves' accent, English accent, was a bit dubious, but, you know, uh, I, th- I think that's probably one for another podcast when we're talking about Keanu Reeves. But, um, no, a very good film. Visually arresting film, stunning. Yeah. Uh, lovely looking film. And also Winona Ryder, um, who I think is still one of my favourite actresses. He just he look, looks so good on screen, so enigmatic on screen as well. So you've got that great combination, I think, between some great actors and a great story and a great director, you know? And, yeah, and great music too. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, sorry, Alicia, what was you going to say there? Um, it, it's so funny whenever you know, you're talking about Keanu Reeves and it's mm. the biggest contrast seeing him sitting at a table with Hopkins. It's, I know, but do, so doesn't weird. it, I know, but Alicia, doesn't it expose Keanu Reeves? I mean, I like Keanu Reeves as an actor a lot, I do. Yeah, me but too. I think, but I, th- I think technically, um, he, as an actor, he's effective, but he's not what I call a good actor. And I think he does get shown up slightly next to Hopkins um, and next to Alban as well, I, I think it makes it does. You, you do see him for what, what he is, and but he's he's somebody who's who's got the right look, the right level of charisma to make it work. Yeah. But next next to Hopkins, um, he does look very ordinary. And I, I think, really, from an actor's point of view, if you get to work with that with Hopkins, you can learn so much from him. 
I think you really can. And a director could think, right, we've got Hopkins on this film. All we've got to do is point the camera and say action. Get on with yeah. it. You know, what do you think, Jason? Do you think directing somebody like Hopkins is a relatively easy task? Uh, I'd say he seems like a good man. I think, yeah. and he, take, he takes his role very seriously. I think he, he does. Yeah, he does. Uh, yes, I think it yeah. should be okay to work with him. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, as I say, I think as a director, he's got to be a dream. You would think, because of what he can do, and because he's so well rehearsed. Anyway, okay, so that was Dracula, uh, 1992. The following year, uh, we had Remains of the Day, which was the James Ivory film. And it got him his second Oscar nomination, playing uh, a repressed butler called Stevens. And Emma Thompson was also in the film, playing the housekeeper, Miss Kenton. What do we think of of this one, then? Great rapport, I think, overall, if you were, you know, comparing his relationships with other characters and stuff, he does it so naturally. And I think... You know, it's a very good example of how brilliant his just natural acting techniques are. Mm. But I also, someone had mentioned him, um, you know, in this role, he'd be such a good Bond villain. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, that is true. It makes you wonder how that's ever got away from him. Yeah. Because you think if you were producing a film, you think, right, who have we we not had as a Bond villain? Anthony Hopkins. Mm. You know, it goes back to Hannibal Lecter, doesn't it? It's not so far away, so far removed, is it? Jason, what do you think about uh, first about Hopkins as a Bond villain? That's a that's a good good uh, train of thought. And secondly, what did you think of him in Remains of the Day? I think that Hopkins would make a rather interesting Bond villain. Yeah, yeah I think yes. he would. He's, he's, got, he's certainly got he's got the look, isn't he? He's got that kind of sinister presence. Yeah. And I think he proved that in Silence of the Lambs, didn't he? Yeah, he knows, um, he knows, he knows how to play a villain, that's for sure. Yeah, can yeah, play anything, ab- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But in Remains of the Day, um, this to me felt like a forerunner to Downton Abbey. And there are many forerunners to Downton Abbey. But um, it's just a, a very delicate, well-observed film about what you would call repressed English manners. This guy, Stevens, is so emotionally buttoned up he can't tell this woman how he feels about her jason what did you think of this film no he's a, he's a man who, who's afraid to express his emotions and he suffers because of it i think yes okay then so Hello? um so yeah so alicia with um remains of the day um do you think the oscar nomination was deserved yeah overall yeah i, I think i he it's very, I think this is definitely a good example of how easy he is to watch. Yeah. It's just, it's, he flows so well in Remains of the Day. It's and, so yeah. good. And I think also really is that what he does, he makes you care about the character as well, because all the way yeah. through the film, you think, oh, for goodness sake, just tell her how you feel. Uh, particularly when she said, when she, when uh, Miss Kenson played by Emma Thompson, she said, I'm going to get married. And you think, oh, she wants him to say, don't marry him. Yeah. Don't marry him. And he was saying to her at one point in the film, you know how important you are to this house. He's really saying, you're important to me, isn't he? And it's so painful to watch. I know, it is. And you hand through the screen and be like, no. Exactly. For God's sake, just tell her how you feel. And I think it's beautifully played, but I, I think that's probably characteristic of what we might call the stiff upper lip, you know, those kind of manners where we don't feel able to express ourselves properly. But uh, beautifully made, set against the backdrop of appeasement just before the war. So it has that kind of dynamic storyline going on, doesn't it? Uh, Which I think made it really sort of even more compulsive, I think, as well. Okay, right. So um, moving on uh, to one of my own personal favourites, Nixon. Uh, in 1995, directed by Oliver Stone. And of course, being an Oliver Stone film, it's three hours long. Um, <laughs> um, Alicia, what did, what did you think of Nixon? It's honestly so difficult to explain how utterly arresting Hopkins is in this film. Mm. It is madness. 
Did you, did you believe him? I mean, did you believe he was Nixon? You know, was he convincing in that way? Mm, I think, you know, there was qualities there, but it's, it's a difficult person to portray on screen, I think. Yeah. Uh, I am... Um, I feel in some way, I mean, I was just old enough to remember Nixon when he was president. And I don't think Hopkins looks a lot like him. Mm, yeah. But you, I kind of bought it. After about 10 minutes, I thought, yes, he is him. Because he kind, of, he kind of grew into the role. Um, Jason, what do you think about Nixon as a film? Well, uh, it's not my type of film, really. Yes. I think it's a bit over long, two, three hours, but yeah, I, I do think it is a good, yes, I think it is a good film, though, and I think that Hopkins does a great job as Nixon. He portrays yeah. him as a determined man, but also a bit damaged, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that that is kind of characteristic of the characters that he plays damaged. It's a good word, isn't it? Uh, characters yeah, that he yeah. plays are lonely, isolated, uh, vulnerable. Um, it, it is that type of character, isn't it? Um, I, I, I feel it's, um, it is a long film, but it, I think when films are that long, they have to justify the extra airtime and they have yeah. to do something with, with the time they're on, they've got. So they do that because it is a very long, complex rolling story. And one thing I did notice as well, Oliver Stone directed JFK, uh, which is kind of like a natural overlap because Nixon was up against the Kennedys, wasn't he? Um, so there's kind of that overlap there, but there is something quite, it draws you in. It draws you in. Jason, when you say it's not your kind of film, in what way is it not your kind of film? Well, I'm just saying that in order to to enjoy this film, you have to be really interested in Nixon because that's what oh, it right. is. It's, it's about, you know, three hours of Nixon, Nixon, Nixon. Yeah. I'm just not that interested in, 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 the Nixon, yeah. in Nixon as a person, that's all. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. If, if you're not into that character, if you're not, no. I, I suppose really, if you're not curious about American politics, it won't yeah, really exactly. be a lot of interest to you. I think where my interest lies is the fact that I do remember Nixon being president. So it's something that I can draw on from my, my childhood a little bit. Um, mm. For me, I, I honestly think it's he got an Oscar nomination for it, but I, I think he should have won the Oscar that year. And what I think is interesting is that he lost out to Nicolas Cage in Leaving oh, Las wow. Vegas. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I looked, I looked it up. I didn't know either, actually. I thought, I wonder who he lost to. Yeah. Because to me, to me, that's his best role. Now, uh, Nick Cage in Leaving Las, Leaving Las Vegas, it is a good film. It's a great mm-hmm. film. Um, but the, I suppose, really, the, um, the, the continual dilemma you have giving awards now is that you're not comparing like with like. And, but I think, really, um, in... In Nixon, I just totally, I was totally convinced by it all. But it, it, what it does do, though, one, I think one of the problems with an Oliver Stone film is that it's throwing all these theories at you, all the, all this information has been being bombarded at you, you know, left, right, and centre. All these different sort of theories and, and characters who, who are on the scene, and it is difficult to keep up with it. But nevertheless, it's it's a film that I've always enjoyed and. I, I did actually watch it again in preparation for the podcast, and I, I still bought it. I still bought him as Nixon. I really did. But um, a very good film, a very very good film. And again, it's I, I'd say. I mean, we put it in this top ten, but I'd definitely say it's it's up there with with these finest efforts. But yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think so. Okay, now next one, 1997. Again, another another nomination here for Best Supporting Actor in Amistad, mm. <coughs> directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, a sprawling epic, I think we could say. Jason, what did you think of this one? Okay, so Amistad, it, the story takes place in the early 90s, mid-90s century. It's about yeah. a, a slave ship that contains yeah. slaves from Africa, and they mm. re- rebel against their captors, mm. and they end up in the United States where they're trying to gain their freedom through court. Mm. And Anthony Hopkins plays John Quincy Adams, who's a, 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 former, a former president again, mm-hmm. who, who who takes a, plays a significant role in securing their freedom. Mm. Yes, I think that uh, Hopkins, again, you know, he, he nails a part and he's, he, he delivers a terrific performance. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, th- I think he absolutely does. It's, it's mm. one of his finest performances. And really only a cameo. He's, yeah. Because he doesn't have a lot of time on screen, does he? No, no, he doesn't. No, that's yeah. true. But I mean, he make, he makes he has an impact. That's a sign of a great actor, because you you notice him even when he's not on screen. It's 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 odd. Alicia, what did you think of Amistad? I haven't watched that. Um, it's ah, one of the ones right. that I haven't watched in a while. Right. I didn't get I, to watch it. Right, but you have seen it though. Yeah, I yeah. very distinctly remember. Yeah, that speech, that speech uh, thing. I know it, it's it's incredible, isn't it? That speech apparently took up seven pages of A4, and um, he was he was on screen for ten minutes, and that was all done in one take, apparently. Oh. And that is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, to be, it's, to be I know, and do you know what? I think that's got a lot to do with Anthony Hopkins learning his craft on the stage. You know, all actors start on stage, but there are some actors who perfect their craft before they start making films. And I think that speech that he did before the Supreme Court as John Quincy Adams uh, is really drawing on stagecraft, is that ability to deliver a speech, a monologue in one take, and he did that. And wasn't he good? Yeah. Wasn't he good? It was just it was it was just enthralling just just to what just to listen to him. And you can't take your eyes off the screen. Um, it's an amazing an amazing uh, piece of acting, really. And it, almost in some ways, it doesn't feel like acting at all. It's very naturalistic. There's yeah. certain words that I think we'd use to describe Hopkins. And naturalistic is one of them, is that he's totally real. He's, he's believable, but also mm-hmm. playing a former US president. Does, do, you, do you feel he has natural gravitas? Does, does he, is he able to carry off a role like that because of his, his stature? Because he often plays a role like that, doesn't he? Mm, yeah. You know, I I, th- I think it's uh, it's actually a, a film that I, I mean I didn't know the history to it at all. I didn't know the backstory to Amistad, um, and it was an eye opener for me when I saw it. But um, what I think is remarkable though is that for the amount of time that he spends on screen, he steals he steals the film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Absolutely steals the film. Mm. And just, just out of interest, um, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, and lost out to Robin Williams, who got the, the Oscar for Goodwill Hunting. Again, a completely different film. But you think to yourself, well, some may say awards aren't important, right? But the people that say that are the ones that have never won an award. And I think... It, it's acceptance, isn't it? And you think, well, he got five nominations, five Oscar nominations, but two actual Oscars. But you think, maybe he should have got an Oscar for that one. Because I think he was he was so good. He was, yeah. he was so good. Um, and for a Spielberg film as well, it's the idol combination, isn't it? Again, you put great directors with great actors. You can't lose, can you really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a bit like Coppola working with... Uh, Hopkins on Dracula. It works, doesn't it? One interesting, uh, one interesting point to emerge from that collaboration was that uh, Spielberg, so in awe of Hopkins, he insisted on calling him Sir Anthony all the way through the film, making the film, even oh, though he kept on saying, "Just no, just call me Anthony, call me Tony." But no, no, it's Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Anthony, you know, to show that kind of deference for, you know, we know how, how difficult directors can be, right? Because they have a vision in their minds. But Spielberg was the type of director who said, no, I can't, I can't sort of address him mm. just as Anthony or Tony. It's got to be Sir Anthony. And this is where kind of like the, the parallels with Olivier come in because he has that respect within within the film industry, um, but a, a beautifully made film uh, and brutal as well, wasn't it? In places, yeah, definitely. yeah, it was quite violent. Yeah, it was quite yeah, violent was. too during the I mean, the mutiny. Yeah, I know it was quite graphic, but then again, though, it's not. It's not. There's nothing gratuitous in that. It's just portraying the reality that life was brutal back then, and the. The message that comes through in that film um, is so clear. As even at that time, you know, in the 1840s, whenever it was, that you, you can't imagine um, how cruel that is. That you know, the the lawyers that were involved, Matthew McConaughey playing the the lawyer, was trying to sort of find like a, a shortcut, an escape route, a legal technicality to get them off. And Morgan Freeman's character is saying, well, no, we don't want that. You know, that's not the issue. We yeah. want them to be free. And you kind of relate to, to all of those characters and what, and what they're, they're trying to achieve. Um, and what's amazing to me, though, historically, that, you know, the American Civil War uh, was still 20 years away. And you think, God, it's amazing how that, situation with regard to slavery was allowed to persist for as long as it did exactly um, but um you know brilliant film very thought-provoking um and the issue of, of slavery even in historical terms is still very topical isn't it for obvious yeah. reasons so it's a it's a it's a, a very enjoyable history lesson i think amistad where we can where we can um appreciate some great acting as well so, um, let's move on um, to 1998, The Mask of Sorrow, <laughs> directed by Martin Campbell, um, starring uh, or co-starring Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones in one of her early Hollywood roles. Mm. Now, I loved this. I absolutely adored this. Um, tell me what you think. Alicia, what do you think? I am a total sucker for these types of films, and I yeah. don't know why. But they're always good. I know. It's, um, you know, if I, if I can quote Spielberg again, a great popcorn movie. You yes. Know, very old-fashioned, old-fashioned swashbuckler, lots of sword fights. Um, brilliant. I absolutely adored it. And it is, I think one of the reasons I do like it is it's very traditional, very old-fashioned. Jason, what did you think of it? Well, I, I like it film. It's a nice, fun action film, and it's, Quite a departure for Hopkins, isn't it? I mean, he plays a, he plays yeah. he takes a part in an action film now, and he does it very well. I think I like him as Zorro. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was excellent, and mm-hmm. one of the reasons why this film stands out for me is because it was probably the closest he's ever got to playing what you would call a light a lighter role, right? To, to playing an action where, hero, yeah, yeah, an action hero. Yeah. Because you think, God, he was good in that. I enjoyed mm. him in that, and it was a little bit tongue in cheek. It wasn't too serious. But it's, it's a world away from the characters that he usually plays. Um, 
Alessio, do you think that made the film more enjoyable, that he got away from the typical character you would normally play? It was really interesting to see how, because the, most of his roles are very heavy, it was yeah. exciting that, to know mm. that, oh, okay, he's not going to play the usual, you know, kind of compacted emotions, if that makes any sense, you know. Yeah, no, no, it does. Yeah. So, you know, bogged down. Yeah. So it was, it was quite, you know, thrilling to see something so different. I know. It, yeah, it was, I think it was great. I, I wish... I wish I think he's at an age now where he those types of roles aren't going to be available to him because of his age. Mm. But I only wish he'd done that a bit more often, because you know he, he is a fun guy. You know, you get him on a chat show, right? He's he's really good value. You know, he's cracking jokes and he's doing impressions and he's he's really funny. So there is that side of his personality. But isn't it interesting though that it's very rarely comes out in the films that he makes? Yeah, I think that's yeah. It's a good way to kind of. How do I explain it? To kind of show how much attention he pays to yeah. like the craft that he does. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I think for that reason, it it makes more of an impact because it's not it's not a role you you would associate with him. Yeah, at all. Because as you say, um, he, he will play characters that are very emotionally very raw, very intense characters. Um, it could just be that's what he prefers to play on screen. But I think um, I think so. I think it was fab. I love Zorro. It's it's just good, light-hearted fun, and also I like the I like the kind of the um, the banter, if you can call it that, between uh, Hopkins and Banderas because oh, that was yeah. like that that was great, wasn't it? Because yeah. they were like kind of um, master and apprentice, if you like, teaching him teaching him the ropes I thought that was great and Catherine Zeta-Jones Zeta-Jones as well I think was very good in the part um, whether it was historically accurate uh, because I don't know Mexican and North American history quite as well as I should but um, I think the historical references might have been a bit a little bit off but I, to be honest do we really mind about that though? <laughs> it's it's swashbucklers no one no one really pays attention and no. even if you want to think about it after you yeah. can go back to the swords yeah that's it yeah that is absolutely true and I think um, yeah a very nice film uh, the sort of film that you would call real escapism you know yeah. but that's what that traditionally is why you go and see a film is to say, right, I want to take take myself out of my own circumstances and just watch something that's just pure pure action, thrills, a few laughs, you know. That's great. I love that sort of thing. Yeah, that is really good. Right, so, and also, in The Mask of Zorro, we also had a bit of Strictly Come Dancing in it as well, didn't we? Oh, you know, yes, I a, forgot about that. Yeah, they did, they did a tango, didn't they? Yes. You know? <laughs> so there's that as well, you know. If you like that sort of thing, you know, I think that's really good. It gives it more of an edge, doesn't it? There's so um, much so, in that film, so much. Yeah. This is it. You see, you see, when you go back and see it again, Alicia, you, you pick up all these little nuances that you might not notice the first time around. You know, that's always the way with any, any film, any good film. There will always be something you miss, you know, so it's good stuff. So that was The Mask of Sorrow. That was in 1998. Let's jump forward into the Norseas now. Uh, with Bobby. Uh, this film was released in 2006, directed by Emilio Estevez, and featured an ensemble cast. Uh, these are these are basically characters that have a connection with the Ambassador's Hotel, uh, which was where Bobby Kennedy was shot and killed in 1968. Um, a very interesting film. I like his ensemble pieces. Uh, but Jason, what did you think of it? Yeah, I think it's an okay film. You know, it shows how the lives of these people in the Ambassador Hotel they yeah. overlap overlap with each other due to the assassination. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Hopkins did did his part well. Yeah. Over overall, didn't think that much of the film to be honest. No, not not one of his best. You feel? Uh, no. No. Not because of Hopkins, or just you know, no, just no, 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 yeah. sure, of course. Yeah. Alicia, what did you think? I actually haven't seen this, nor had I heard uh, of it before you'd mentioned right. it. Okay, um, well, let me let me fill you in a little bit more. Um, 
in this film, there are some quite big hitting actors, you know, apart from Hopkins. You've got Martin Sheen and Sharon Stone and Demi Moore, William H. Macy, Lawrence Fishburne. Now, being an ensemble piece, um, they all get roughly the same amount of screen time, but they're all associated with the Ambassador's Hotel. Right? And as, as, um, as Jason pointed out, they all, they're all impacted in some way by what happened. This was where Bobby Kennedy was shot. And it, it, it gently builds up. And you have all these little subplots going side by side overlapping occasionally. Um, but what fascinates me about this film, though, is if you sit down and watch it, who stands out the most? You know, bearing in mind that they are, they've, they've all got a similar amount of screen time. Uh, I still think Hopkins stands out more than any of the others, partly because he plays a character who recently retired. Uh, he was the uh, commissioner and he'd seen it all and even though he wasn't on screen any more often than anyone else, to me, he, he kind of walks away with the film. I don't know why. Now, you might watch it and think, oh, no, no, no. I, I, I think it was Sharon Stone. I think it was William H. Macy who, who took all the acting honours because you could quite easily pick, pick on any one of them. Uh, you know, so it's that type of film. But it, it's engrossing. And if, you like, if you're not a big fan of ensemble pieces then it won't appeal to you very much but i think it's an interesting exercise to sit down and watch it and think right who took all the acting on us there jason uh you've seen it who who was the actor that really stood out for you in that film uh, i agree i'll say hopkins you know yeah he, he did a, he did his part well as he always does yeah but i think sharon stone was good too yeah yeah, I mean, there are some really nice performances in there as well. And when you get an all-star cast like that, um, you think, God, all those egos in one place. But I think they make it work. They think it, they make it work really well. And as I say, it's not to everyone's taste, really, because it is quite a frantic sort of pace in, in some ways. We know what the story is, but you've got all these little subplots going on as well at the same time. So Alicia, you must tell me what you think. Maybe on a future podcast. Yeah. Quite excited to see it actually. Yeah. It's, it's a very good film and you can find it in all the usual streaming uh, uh, places, but, um, and you can download in the usual places, but it's very good. It's a very good film. And um, one of these more, more recent films and, possibly indicative of maybe the type of film that he will play now where he's he's doing lots of cameos. He doesn't act on stage anymore. Um, he hasn't been on the West End stage since the late 80s, which I found surprising. Oh, uh, really? No, apparently not. No, I thought he'd been on the West End stage a lot more, a lot more recently than that, but yeah. there you go. Um, uh, which which I find sad in a way because I've never seen him live on stage. Uh, I'd love to see him in, in the theatre. Oh, it would be so emotional, I think, because yeah. you can tell already, you know, from on-screen performances how good he would be on a stage. Yeah. I know, and I'd love to see him live on stage. Uh, Jason, have you ever have you ever seen Hopkins live on stage at all? No, I'm ashamed to say I did not know. No, well, I haven't either. That makes three of us, doesn't it? Okay. So uh, we'll have to hope and pray that he changes his mind and we'll all have to go and see him, won't we? <laughs> but I think, though, but I think, though it's the, the reason I, I bring back his theatre work as a reference point here, that is really where he learned his craft. And not all actors do it necessarily on stage because that pressure to deliver a line, get it right the first time without any retakes, and play that line with sincerity and be convincing uh, and be engaging as well. That's what he takes on to film, I think, every single time. Um, so that is why I think uh, we, we have to play, make due reference to um, his exploits on the stage as well as on film. So moving on then, um, Two Popes, um, made in 2019. This was also... Uh, this also brought him an Oscar nomination. Um, uh, a fascinating film uh, on a very sort of novel subject, I think, um, uh, with Jonathan Price 
playing uh, Bergoglio and Anthony Hopkins playing Ratzinger. So two popes. Um, what do we think, Alicia? I think I need a lot of convincing to watch this one. And I was hoping that someone in the podcast would help me convince me to, you know, try right. to watch it. I want to watch it so bad, but right. I, can't, I don't have the right sense of enticement. Right. What I'd say then to you, what I say, because I, I, I think I think it is a very good film. Um, what you get in Two Popes is that you, you get uh, a natural sense of drama and pageantry where you look at the election of a new pope and this this kind of friction between the moderniser, Bergoglio, played by Jonathan Price, and the conservative dogmatist played by uh, Anthony Hopkins, Ratzinger. So Ratzinger was um, Pope Benedict, the German pope, who was very conservative, who wanted to stick to established traditions. Bergoglio, played by Jonathan Price, who is now uh, the pope, uh, was the reformer, the radical. And it's very interesting to see that friction within the church as well. Um, and you get a really interesting backstory uh, to Bergoglio, particularly um, when he was an Argent- he's Argentinian. So mm-hmm. you have that kind of fr- what to me is a really sort of gripping conflict. But they they start to understand each other much better. They start out poles apart, but they become closer because they have a, they have a shared belief. But I think for that reason, though, you do get a sense of drama there because it is the Roman Catholic Church. It does have this kind of mystical, it's mystical the right word. It does have this kind of odd sort of uh, sense of being about it. Yeah, I know. I think I know what you mean. Do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Yeah. Jason, have have you seen Two Popes? Yeah, I saw it recently, actually. Yes, I think that Hopkins and Price did a fantastic job. I think they're both very convincing as yeah. members of the Vatican. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think it's a very, very, very well-acted film. Yes, and very dramatic, too. Also, also, I think it, visually, it's it's really colourful, isn't it? You know, you, it would be difficult to make Rome look naff, but it, it looks beautiful, the, the visuals, the locations. Yeah, they all the direction, kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of work so well. But it, again, it's not difficult to get that wrong, but it makes the film more watchable as well. So it, it challenges you intellectually, I think. But it, also it's visually very pleasing to watch as well. And it's also also another thing about Two Popes is that it's something from the recent past. It's history that we've all lived. You know, I'm, whether you're Catholic or not, but you kind of follow... A story like that because it, it's it's something we've experienced, it's something we remember. You know, it's not like Amistad that, that's taken taken out of the history books. Yeah. This is something that's contemporary that's happening now, and that's what I think gives it a bit more uh, punch, if you like. So, Alicia, have I convinced you? Yes, I'm actually. I think I might go and watch that because the way you've described that, yeah. I kind of want to see how you know that kind of. Mm, not bond as such, but like you know, understanding kind of yeah. blossoms. And I, yeah. I don't, I don't know much about you know that kind of religious aspect. So I didn't realize that it had a lot of you know piled on kind of backstories and stuff. So now I'm yeah. quite excited. Yeah, no, it's 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 a very good film. I mean, I'm not a Catholic. I'm not particularly religious, but I, I am sort of curious about the Roman Catholic Church and its ways and how it's been kind of trapped in a trance in some ways and it's struggling to modernize and someone like Bergoglio is dragging the church in, into the 21st century um, <clears throat> and that fascinates me because really religion is is one person's version of the truth and it's all about faith and you think why do people follow that religion Yeah, definitely. and it helps to explain why people have faith and why like, I mean, after all, the Pope is the natural successor to St. Peter. Um, so all of that kind of ties in with, to me, explaining why people believe and don't have to be convinced and have faith. That's what having faith is. So um, so I'm glad I convinced you to watch it. <laughs> it's No, it's, it's a very good film. Very good film. So now, so we've gone through... 10 films made between 1980 
and 2019, we have to mention uh, the father, uh, which is annoyingly isn't out yet. But as we mentioned at the, in in the intro, um, Anthony Hopkins got an Oscar for it, and he was the oldest ever recipient of an Oscar. Um, now, based, I mean, none of us has seen it yet because it's not out yet. But um, is it a film that that you're um, bound to go and watch? Alicia, what do you think? I think from what I've you know managed to see from yeah. short clips and stuff, yeah. you, it's it just it looks so good because you can't go wrong with Olivia Coleman as well. But yeah. I kind of crave that intense emotion that you can see between the two. Yeah. So so you're bearing in mind it's dealing with a very distressing subject, yeah. Alzheimer's dementia. Um, do you feel it's right that a film like that belongs in the cinema? You know, because this has come up before on other podcasts. Um, I think it's absolutely right it should be told. But does it kind of run contrary to the idea of going to the movies? Because it is very distressing. What do you feel about that? Do you think, do you think it's right, it's important, it should be there? Uh, I definitely think it's important, yeah. Yeah. Jason, what do you think about The Father, based on what you've seen of it so far? I believe it should get a theatrical release. I think I think people should see it. It's supposed to be such a good film, very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And uh, Anthony Hopkins is probably going to be brilliant in it. Since he won well, Oscar, of course. I mean, usually yeah, is. I know. Yeah, I think um, it looks like an amazing film. But it looks like the kind of film that I will feel drained once I've seen it. But I'll be glad that I have seen it. Because you've you've got Anthony Hopkins and you've got Olivia Coleman uh, in two very very intense roles. Really, this mm. is father and daughter. This is the daughter trying mm. to cope with her father's uh, dementia. Um, very upsetting, very distressing. Um, probably one of the worst. All the illnesses are scary, but Alzheimer's is incredibly scary because you lose the person that's inside. You know, whereas somebody's body might be failing them, but they're still in there. But Alzheimer's does something terrifying, I think. And I I reckon the way they, they portray those characters is going to be absolutely amazing to watch. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, you I can think. kind of see that a bit uh, in but, Yeah. Yeah, it's not a popcorn film, but I think it's going to be worth viewing. I think it was early 2000s. Hello? Uh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I suppose that brings us on then uh, to the films that we haven't mentioned yet. Um, you know, as I say, we've mentioned 10 films there. Um, Alicia, what, um, you just mentioned Proof. Would that be one that you'd, you'd point out to listeners to check out? Well... See, I don't know why, but I have an amazing fascination with films that are based on, you know, math and stuff. So Proof mm. is about um, a girl called Catherine who struggles to cope with the death of her father, who yeah. was, you know, a mathematician. Um, yeah. And his ex-student, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, um, you know, digs through his notes. And Catherine, who's played by uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, actually, um, right, okay. You know, they, they clash because, you know, it's her private, her, that's her dad's stuff. So it, it's not maybe the, you know, grand Hopkins, uh, you know, on the screen presence that you'd hope for, but it is a good film. But yeah. I think it ties in with the father and what you might expect um, from his character there. There's, you know, uh, pieces of uh, film in proof that portrays him before you know his death and how his um his health deteriorates and stuff and I, yeah. I it's very emotional in that way you don't see a lot of him but when you do you feel it so heavily yeah it sounds very good actually it's not a film that i've seen i mean looking through um the, the uh, films that he's made I would say I've seen the majority of them, but there are some films that I haven't seen, and that's one I haven't seen. But it sounds—it sounds really good, actually. Um, and I feel slightly annoyed with myself that I haven't seen it because I can't really comment on it. But that sounds great. It sounds challenging, doesn't it? 
it's yeah. it falls into the challenging category it's not the kind of film that you could sit back and think oh this is great kind of thing um but you it's making you you know one of my one of my uh, mantras uh, one of my bugbears is that we can have a film that makes us work a bit harder for our entertainment then we can have films that we just don't have to think about too much, you know? Yeah. And proof falls, falls into the challenging category and that's fine. That's absolutely great. I love that sort of thing. Um, Jason, what films uh, uh, haven't we mentioned that we should mention, do you think? Well, I believe that uh, the 1978 horror film Magic deserves a mention. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is that's a very good film. Um, but seems to have it hasn't kind of sunk but you don't see it shown very often do you no you do not he, he plays a ventriloquist who yeah he, he has a he you know the character of hopkins has is a much has psychological problems and he yeah. falls he kind of falls under the spell of his puppet and he yeah he kind of develops a multiple personality and the puppet yeah. kind of in a way makes him kill people it's kind of like yeah, a slasher it's like a slasher i know film. that yeah that is that is such a good film it, it is, is a yeah, very yeah. good film but you as i say you don't see it shown very often on terrestrial channels and i don't think it's available in any on any of the usual sort of uh satellite channels that we get or, or streaming services that we get it's very difficult to find but um if you can find it uh, it's well worth checking out because it's um, a very dark role, which he does specialise in, obviously, as we've already mentioned, mm. but very good film. Um, yeah, definitely one to search out. Uh, the film that I'd mentioned uh, that we haven't already uh, discussed uh, is a film called The Edge. Um, in the late 90s, uh, this film came out and it was... Uh, it was with um, Alec Baldwin and Elle McPherson. And basically the story of a plane that crashes in Alaska and the survivors make their way to civilization, or they try to, but they're being stalked by a Kodiak bear, a very bad-tempered Kodiak bear. And some of the scenes between the bear, I mean, Hopkins does look like he's fighting this bear that's about nine feet tall. Um, Incredible scenes, absolutely amazing scenes. It's uh, awesome. I can't believe yeah. I've seen that. I know, really. Check this one out, and I think you, I think you will find it on. Uh, you'll find it streaming. It's definitely streaming, or you can get it on satellite. It is an incredible film, amazing film, and this Kodiak bear is just awesome looking. But the Kodiak bear is played by Bart the bear, by the way, and. <laughs> That was awesome. I love that. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure he, he's a sweetheart in real life. But I tell you what, on screen he looks absolutely terrifying. Um, and also, what you've also got there is kind of like a, um, a three-way three-way relationship because Hopkins' character is married to Elle McPherson, and Elle McPherson is being enticed away by Alec Baldwin's character. So you've got that that kind of three-way relationship going on there as well but it's worth watching j just for these confrontations with the bear incredible um so um so in, if we were to sum it all up then um what do we feel um hopkins has contributed to cinema in general what's what's been his lasting contribution do we feel jason well, uh, uh, Richard Attenborough, the filmmaker who collaborated with Hopkins in five films, called yeah. Hopkins the greatest actor of his generation. Mm. And I think that means a lot. And I, th and yeah. I think it truly is. Yeah. He's such, he's such think, a terrific actor. Yeah, I think that's rare praise, isn't it, if yes. it comes from Attenborough. Yes. He's, a, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a terrific theatre actor and a terrific yeah. film actor as well. Yeah. Alicia, what, what would you say? I think it goes with along with the. Um, I I am not very good with the old, you know, social media phrases, but the yeah. the the whole you know wave of the actors in quotations always understanding the assignment. I think yeah. he's a perfect example for that. He always brings what you want to see or what you're expecting to see from a character, and then some. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I completely back up everything you but you 
just said, I think he's one of those rare actors who's mastered every aspect of the craft yeah. because he's, he's makes films. He does TV. He does shorts. He, um, obviously a superlative stage actor. And I think really he's probably assumed the space that was left by Laurence Olivier. And I think it's no surprise that, um, he came under Olivier's wing, if you like, when he was learning his trade. And I think it really shows that he is the kind of actor that everyone looks up to. Everyone wants to act with. Everybody wants to work with Hopkins. And really, even though he's 83 now, um, he's still making films. I mean, according to IMDb, he's got three films, uh, either in post-production or ready to come out. Uh, so he's not standing still. He's, he's also got a, a TV program as well that he's doing, that he's doing, he's voicing. So there's no sign of him slowing down at all. And it's, it's, you know, it, it's exciting because you don't want them to. <laughs> well, no, hopefully it will carry on. But you see, the thing is, what's great about acting though, Alicia, is that there are no rules and there's nothing to say he has to retire yeah. at 65. Exactly. He can carry on, but, it, but he just plays progressively different roles what i would like to see him do though is is play not out and out comedy but just play something a bit lighter a bit more knockabout following on from what we were saying about the the zorro film is to play something a bit lighter a bit of a comedy find a really good script writer and a good film that that will allow him to sort of unload a little bit now i suppose really he's never played that role before it could be just that he doesn't want to, that he's not interested, but I'd like to see him have a go because we know he has that side of his personality. So I'd like to see him do that. Um, but he's brilliant. The, the man's a genius and I think we're lucky to have him. I think we should be proud that we have in Britain, in Wales, one of the greatest screen actors alive today. Definitely. I think, I think we, we're, we're lucky to have him. So I think that's just about all we've got time for. Uh, thank you for listening. Please join us again. This has been a UK Film Review podcast. And thank you to my fellow film geeks who've been superb. Thank Alicia you. and Jason. Bye. Stay well and keep safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.